Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your hosts, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And uh, Phil, our president, has gone abroad, and he is now, he gave big foreign policy speech in Poland. We are probably the most pro-Trump country in Europe, uh, except, well, they probably don't see much eye-to-eye with regard to Russia. And now headed to the G20, where all the players are going to be there. You got China, you got Russia, you got everybody else. And um, it's going to be interesting seeing the president on the world stage now. The last foray, the last foreign policy foray or foreign trip, if you will, the Israel, Saudi Arabia, then Europe uh, was not probably known more for its missteps than its successes. Uh, The president has an opportunity to kind of right the ship amid his first real foreign policy or foreign crisis, a real crisis happening in North Korea. I think, look, the the greatest positive of the last uh, presidential trip overseas was the lack of Twitter uh, inciting, um, which I think we actually welcomed as as a positive uh, for the trip. And so far, so good. He's holding. He hasn't tweeted yet on this trip. And and hopefully we get back to business, right? I, I think this is the first time in a while where there is no, and, and while there are certain things we're going to talk about, there is no sort of smoking gun here. There's no big scandal. There's no big, you know, at least in the last 24, 48, 36 hours, no, excuse me, uh, 48, 72 hours, there's no big Twitter scandal or comments or, or anything that, that there is for us to talk about outside of actual debate about policies and, and how things are going to proceed and whether it's foreign policy or health care or, or so many other things. I think we're, we're finally free to have some of those conversations as it relates to the president, uh, which is actually really, really exciting um, to not be embroiled in some sort of scandal for, I mean, this is kind of where we've come to and here we go because I just got over saying how I'm not going to say it, but like the fact that we are like excited that it's been 24, 48 hours and there's no scandal. We were just commenting before we got on the air. We were talking about the the CNN video, the, the President Trump body slamming uh, the, the quote unquote CNN person. I think that was on Sunday. Right. And so that seems like forever ago in this presidency. I mean, we're every single day. There is a new news there's new news, and, and that seems literally like it's no longer relevant because it just happened so long ago. But in reality, it really wasn't so long ago. Yeah, well, you know, the intervening 4th of July always creates that uh, thing. I, I should say, first and foremost, that, um, you know, not to be sentimental and a little bit uh, mushy about this, but but despite all this and despite the fact that we sit here and banter and criticize and say uh, all kinds of positive and negative things about our political situation. Uh, having had an Independence Day, I am proud to be an American. I am proud of 240 year, one years of this republic. I am proud of the fact that this republic continues to endure. And despite all the problems that we have and despite everything that goes on, and despite some of the nonsense and the sideshows, uh, this country is still a great country. And I want to see it succeed. I want to see the president succeed. I, as I continue to tell other people, both on the air and on private, the president is his own worst enemy here. When will, I just want him to grow into the job. I want him to, I want the White House to grow into the job. I want the people to get, they want it, I want them to get it together. I want the Congress to get it together. I want all these things to happen. And when the president goes abroad, I want him to represent the country in a dignified and presidential manner as befitting. I don't, I like the disruption. I like the idea that, you know, you keep people a little bit on their toes, but not what seems like a totally unplanned, unscripted, un, 
just unhinged in many time, cases, just a an unhinged presidency. And I think that I want, I, I know there's something to be said for the president's style, for President Trump's style, and how it got him where he is, and the entertainment value that he brings to it. And I, you know, politics has some entertainment value, let's not kid ourselves. But I also think that when you're dealing with serious people, I, I can't help but think that North Korea saw a little opening here with some of the travails going on. North Korea, uh, dictatorships see weakness in others, in other, and, you know, they want to see, okay, this guy has having domestic problems. Maybe we can see a weakness. Maybe we'll go ahead and advance our, our missile program and the like. Maybe Russia, obviously, is trying to find the soft points in U.S. democracy by the hacking. And, you know, the president still has not brought himself to say that definitively that Russia, he, you know, he said this morning, he says, well, Russia may have hacked, but other countries might have do it too. I think that they did it, but it still unequivocal unequ uh, as opposed to unequivocal. And everybody, he kind of won't acknowledge what the whole world knows. Um, how, you know, all that, Phil, I, I want, I want him to do a good job. You know, look, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think uh, what we are seeing interesting and in, in sort of talking about North Korea and talking about Russia, you know, the president tweeted uh, a couple of days ago that, you know, clearly China or, or to the effect of um, clearly China is not, you know, is not going to get us there. We're going to have to take some action against North Korea. We're going to have to do something. And so I'm also wondering of whether, you know, even when you have you're talking sane policy via Twitter, is that the best way to send a message to China? Right. Like, is it the best way to send a message to our uh, to other foreign leaders, is it via Twitter, right? And if you want to, the president during the campaign, and, and to his credit, well, whether you liked it or not, you know, he said, "Look, I'm not gonna tell you about my foreign policy plans because I don't need, I don't want to broadcast to the world what I intend to do in terms of, you know, portions of our foreign policy, and whether that was ISIS or that was Trump or, excuse me, whether that was Russia, but like this idea that like I'm not gonna tell them what we're gonna do, and yet." On, on Twitter, you're telling, essentially, you're telling China that, like, you know, it's not working and, and China's not holding and we're going to have to do something else. And so there's sort of a balance, right? Either Twitter is going to be a mechanism to inform the people. But, I mean, either you have a, a foreign policy position that you're willing to share or you don't. But sort of these tweet hints about what we may do, what we don't do, or, or, or essentially telling China, like, hey, you're not. If I'm the prime minister of China, right, and I see the tweet. What's the reaction? Hey, if you have an issue, call me. If you want to discuss it, you know, have our, you know, use the back channels, use ambassadors, right? Like to go on Twitter and tell the world how you're feeling about China's ineffectiveness in North Korea. I, you know, I don't know how that's perceived. I think this is a, this well, is we're in, we're in uncharted territory that here. That is correct. Because not only is this president using Twitter as a mechanism of communicating everything, but now he's, he's giving us a little insight into his brain. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm curious to see, and we have no idea because it's never happened before. But like, when the Chinese people and the Chinese leadership see that, what's their reaction? What are they saying? Should they be responding via Twitter? Are I, I, I you just you well, wonder what China is thinking? The Chinese have always have always been. I, I'm always amazed how incredibly disciplined they are with regard to pretty much everything. I mean, it, of course, it's a dictatorship. It's a totalitarian state. They have total control. And, you know, they, they also have alternative facts uh, I, that they that they utilize. And but the interesting thing about the whole China relationship is that I think the president thought or at least he actually professed that he was going to be able to meet with President Xi and kind of convince him that 
North, you know, shutting down North Korea's program was in their best, or, or you know, neutralizing North Korea was in the Chinese best interest. And I think that hopefully he's realized that it's not really that simple just to, you know, you, just, you don't just meet with somebody and say, hey, by the way, you guys haven't thought this through. Trust me, when I tell you that North Korea is a bad guy, you got to neutralize him. The Chinese probably thought about this. They probably have, I mean, they have geostrategic reasons as to why they don't want, and possibly because they like annoying the U.S. on, on this issue, and they like annoying South Korea, and they like annoying uh, Japan, and they've said that over and over that the... Um, uh, they've said over and over that, you know, they don't necessarily want the U.S. Army at their doorstep on Korea. And that's part of the reason they keep North Korean business. I mean, it's very simple. But, you know, the funny thing is when you think about the China policy, and this goes back to Twitter and goes back to everything, and I know we keep repeating it, but the day that Steve Mnuchin gets up and gives a far uh gives a press a brief press briefing to the press briefing about sanctions against North Korea which I thought was a pretty big deal increasing sanctions in North Korea is actually the one lever that we actually have to try and do it and apparently it's always been something that the North Koreans care about because apparently you know Kim Jong Un gets foreign currency and he gets his luxury goods from and there are Chinese banks obviously doing business with North Korea but the president stepped all over that News briefing with tweets against Morning Joe. Right. So, you, you know, you, that's Again, the problem. seems like forever we, ago. We, yeah. we go back, and, and here in one case, you have China with a very disciplined spokesman foreign policy. They say one thing, and you have our president undermining himself at everything. And, you know, it you know, goes back to what we talked about, I think was last week, when I talked about health care and why Republicans have have got to be super nervous about going on the limb with regard to, to healthcare here, because you don't know when the president is going to undermine you on Twitter, right? Or say, making comments. The, the House passes a bill and the president calls it mean. And then he tells everybody they should pass it. So which is it? It's it's just you want to you want to go ahead and pass it because you want to go ahead and, and keep the promise and party solidarity and keep. Every, but if you don't have messaging is really important. And I'm not saying I'm not talking about spin, you know, OK, spin. Right. That's our show. We're talking about spin. But I'm not talking about spin like I'm talking about the messaging. I'm talking about message discipline. It's a really important thing when you run for office and when you're in office to have some type of message discipline. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think, uh, you know. It was, a, it was a sound strategy. Look, I, thinking that like, oh, I'm going to go to China and I'm going to convince them. I want to be very clear. I think, you know, over the last, you know, couple of presidencies, we've seen mostly seen this issue ignored. I know uh, President Obama thought like sort of the, the grand diplomat, you know, we're going to come up with a diplomatic solution and it clearly didn't work. And so, yeah, I agree with this president. I don't think that's what most people like about President Trump is the tough talking. We're not a politician as usual. But it's not working. It's absolutely not working. And this idea that like I'm going to sit down with President Xi and let's not, you know, it's so funny because when we think about the meeting, by the way, and looking back to the meeting with President Xi, if I recall, that was the chocolate cake meeting, right? right? The and famous th chocolate cake meeting. You can't believe how good that chocolate cake was. But that's what I remember. How how sad is that? I'm I'm a political insider. Yeah, I've admitted it. I'm a I, I absolutely admit it. I'm a political insider. And all I can remember about the President Xi meeting was not about the substance, not about what was agreed to, but like the size and greatness of the chocolate cake. And it just is... Well, remember, that was a Trump-owned property, so he wants to make sure that people know when they how go good... The, when you go to Mar-a-Lago, you're going to have good chocolate cake. My point is... Because, you know, it's really expensive to be a member there. <laughs> my, my point is... The, the point is, is that... The point is, is that 
we're not sorry if I took you off point. Yeah. Now, the point, see how distracting the point that is, could is be. That, you see how distracting a chocolate cake comment could be. This is not. This is not new to China, right? While this may be new approach to this president in, in, in our country, this is not new to China. And China, you don't think has thought through? Has actually thought through? Okay, what if the U.S. says they're going to bring on sanctions or or try and hit us where it hurts in our pocketbook? I'm confident they've already thought those things yeah. through, and that is sort of their reason for just toying around with with this president. They, so, I, I guess that's that's what bothers me here. It's just you almost feel, and perhaps I, I know that there's a school of thought that feels that the White House and the president has a strategy here, that it's not just haphazard, that he's not just... Now, and the unpredictability is itself a strategy. And the fact as that he is unpredictable is itself a strategy. The, the, the issue is I, it's not being executed. Yes, he's unpredictable, but, the, but whatever is supposed to go on around that is not, being, is not happening at the same time. That's, you know, that's an issue. And the fact is, as, as again, stuff is just not getting done. We're not getting to where we need to be. And, you know, I think Republicans will suffer in the midterms potentially if this continues along those lines. I mean, it haven't been punished yet so far, but it's not as if the approval ratings out there are going to be particularly good. I think a lot of people were unhappy with the fact that healthcare, even in the, that either you were incredibly unhappy that healthcare reform didn't get done before the July 4th resource recess as promised but there are a lot of people who are happy also that it didn't get done so uh you know who knows and before we jump into healthcare, just for a moment i think it's also important to note that today i think later today the president's going to meet for the first time face to face with uh, vladimir putin. With putin and i think a lot of will I mean, he look, bring been, up election meddling well there, there's been very little no there's been very little word from the white house about what the agenda is right you know what are we what are we meeting with him about what are we talking about is this just uh a friendly how you doing is there an agenda do we have talking points do we know what the president's positions are going to be on certain issues is he going to talk about meddling in the elections right i think even the president has admitted whether he thinks others have done it as well that tr that russia meddled in our elections or tried to meddle in our elections and so is he going to bring that up is he going to tell vladimir putin like it is or or is it even going to come up at all meaning what kind of meeting is this going to be? And I think while a lot of us are anxious to see what happens and what the outcome is and to, to hear about it, I think for the first time in a long time, we're kind of going in not knowing at all what we're going to be doing or what we're going to be talking about or how things are going to play out. And I think that's interesting, again, as, an Ameri as Americans, and we don't have a foreign policy. Like there, there, we, we lack sort of foreign policy goals. We lack a foreign policy agenda outside of this is not politics as usual, and we're going to be tough. Like that's what we know about our foreign policy right now. Yeah, it's uh, it is pretty incredible, and the whole that look, the president in this speech in Poland gave this you know, speech. I mean, the, the gist of the speech was was Steve Bannon. I don't mind. I actually I like the idea that the West needs to confront an existential threat. Um, when he's talking about you know Islamic terror and everything, and that's what he said. And I like you know I like the fact that he's doing that. Um, but that's not the only issue out there. I mean, yes, I mean, North Korea is not tied to ISIS. I mean, there are other problems out there in the world that you need to also have a coherent strategy to deal with. And you know, it was remarked to me by by a, a person whose opinion I respect is that I only care about, the, the, well, Trump's been great. It was over the past weekend. Trump's been great because he has 
gone with Israel at the UN and he's divided the Arab world because now Saudi Arabia and Qatar are, are fighting. And that's all I care about. Now, I understand to a certain degree that that's all, that's all some people care about and that's the worldview that some of us in our community have. But there's a lot of world out there and i'm not with the europeans on with regard to israel i'm not you know and i think and i like you know some of what the president has been doing but overall you need a global the united states is not new zealand you know we're not you know we're, we're, we're not some obscure country in the backseat of of world affairs when the united states doesn't lead and is not in the middle of things and is not i don't want I, the guarantor of the world order we, we all suffer <laughs> does anybody not remember world war one and world war two and the league of nations i mean this has all been tried before right. we've been down this road right. where i hate to, i hate to go through this history lesson but it's kind of necessary but that's but that's it's exactly true. it it's, true. it's a great point world, after world war one the u.s did not join the league of Look, America didn't want to get into World War One. When they got into World War One, they didn't want to join the League of Nations because, like, you know what? Forget it. It's not our business. Let's stay out of it. Let's focus on the American economy and the American jobs. And the they didn't remember that our economy was tied to 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 the UK and and to the British and and to so many others. And so that idea was beyond them. And so they sort of stayed out of it only until World War Two. When we sort of got drawn in again. And so after World War II, when the United Nations was created, obviously we were a part of it so much so that we determined we decided to host it because we recognized at that point that this this thought of isolationism, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we have sadly 50 years, if not even more, of tragic American deaths and 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 bad foreign policy as a as a as as a lesson to learn that it's not the way we should be going again. Now that right. doesn't mean we have to look, some presidents want to engage a lot, right? They want to be involved in everything and they want to be hyper engaged. This president, I'm not saying you have to do that, but you have to lead. You have to lead. And I think that was the most interesting thing about the G twenty because quite frankly, Michael and I, you know, I don't know the ins not the G twenty, excuse me, the Paris Accord. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I don't profess to be an expert on on climate change and the environment. And quite frankly, I don't know if I care about it or not. However, what I will say is it is an opportunity for the U.S. to be a leader, a world leader. And so whether and so if it doesn't actually, you know, the president's comments after and I hate to go all the way back to this, but the president's comments after all, it doesn't actually there's no enforcement. It doesn't actually matter. Okay, then right. why get out of it? Right, get out. Well, I, I think what bothers me the most about the Paris Accord is not I, – I kind of agree with the sentiment behind coming out of it and the fact that it really didn't matter. But there is something to be said for the, the other two countries that are on our side are Nicaragua and Syria. <laughs> so there are three countries out of the Paris Accord, the United States, Nicaragua, and Syria. And – I, I understand that there are a lot of our listeners out there are like, well, when the United States stands with Israel alone, we stand with Israel alone, and that's fine. But where's Israel in the Paris Accord? Israel is one of the most forward thinking <laughs> climate. You know, they have to be for sheer survival. They are, you know, extremely clean energy, clean. And uh, look, we're, we're going to we're going to move on. I, I, I just, you know, let's just say I hope there is success in Europe. Hopefully it's not as bad as it was last time around. And and there's still opportunities. This, this presidency is not done. It's still young. There's still a lot of time to to move forward. There are very good people 
uh, in the president's orbit, uh, although we've seen a lot over the past week, Rex Torreson becoming increasingly frustrated with his marginalization, taking orders from 30-year-olds. I mean, this is this guy, I mean, the truth is when Rex Torreson, the one thing I was afraid of, obviously, he was cl- too close with the Arab world. But as far as a resume, as far as a guy who's been a diplomat, you know, on a professional basis, you can't get better than this guy. Guy knows every country in the world, every hotspot in the world. He's been there. He's done deals. He's a deal maker. Why are they essentially neutering him? It just doesn't make any sense. But I don't know. We have to. I want to. I want to move on. A couple other topics. I want to. Michael, we got to get to did, what? Did Tell you me. did you Tell enjoy me. the beach this weekend? Ah, that's uh... <laughs> look. You know, rare, rarely do we see a politician, Phil, who just doesn't care anymore about what the public thinks of him. But we have one in the governor of New Jersey. I mean, 15% approval rating is not good enough for Chris Christie. He wants to drive it lower. <laughs> so let's be, so I, you know, serving, Set the in, table. <laughs> ser- serving in the New York state legislature, the budget is due on March 31st. And if there is no budget by March 31st and assuming negotiations have broken down, meaning as long as negotiations are ongoing, you can pass budget extenders to sort of buy yourself a bit more time as long as negotiations are ongoing. However, if there is a breakdown in budget negotiations and it passes the deadline, it, it, it triggers essentially a government shutdown. If the budget is passed due, the government, the state governments can no longer pay their bills. We saw that in D.C., uh, a few years back where uh, there was a federal government shutdown and many government, uh, federal government employees had to be furloughed and, and federal parks were shut down. And so in the state of New Jersey, and I don't want to get into the details of, of the, 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 the fight, but there was a, a fight between the legislature and Governor Christie, which ultimately led to a government shutdown, which meant that state beaches... Right? And all state parks. All state, state beaches, parks. And let's be clear, not every beach in New Jersey, but ones that are owned and controlled by the state right. had to have been shut down. Okay. Look, you hate to see it happen. I think it was happening in Maine as well. You hate to see it happen. It shows there's a fundamental dysfunction. Government leaders can't get along. However, it does happen. It happened in the federal government. It happens in states all the time. That's a point where you want to kind of, as government leaders, and I could tell you this as a, I never witnessed, I never went through a government shutdown, but I could tell you that you kind of stay off the grid. You stay off the radar. You work behind the scenes. You try and negotiate a deal. You try to move forward with getting a budget done. It is not a time to flaunt the beautiful mansion and residence of the governor. And when so many thousands and hundreds of thousands of New Jersey residents can't go to the beach, it is not a time to put on your bathing suit, put on your t-shirt, gather your entire family, and go sit on the beach in New Jersey. The only person on the beach. The old, well, it's it was quite uh, hats off to the Star Ledger for going ahead and hiring a plane, which is something that a lot of news organizations don't do, and getting these pictures because Christie's spokesman actually denied that he was on the beach at first. Yeah. It denied, and then he was said he getting, the question directly was, was he getting a tan? Was he getting any sun? So that so therefore his response was once he saw the pictures and was confronted with him, well, he had a baseball hat on. Now that's <laughs> that. By the way, that if if there wasn't for another one, that would certainly be our spin award of the week. There's no question. Um, but this definitely flies in the why I hate politicians and government category because Chris Christie basically said. Well, if you run for governor, you can have a beach house because the beach house comes and obviously I'm entitled to have be on the beach. 
It's not about whether you're entitled. It's not about whether it's legal. It's what it looks like. And when you're keeping when you're keeping regular people off the beach because you can't do your job, you should be sitting in your office. And I'm not saying it's all Christie's fault. There is a lot of blame to go around when budgets can't get done. However, you work at it until it's it is a fundamental failure of again, I'm not putting all the blame for the budget budget shutdown on Chris Christie. It is a fundamental failure of government leaders to not get a budget done. And so when you don't have a budget and things are are, are failing in state government, is not a time to go on your private state owned right. beach and lounge with your family. And I hate to say it for all those people, and I'm gonna you'll excuse me for a moment. Please. We like Christie. When he first came into office, it was yes. much like a certain president that we know, right? We like him. It's Bombast, not political. The yes, it's not absolutely. political speak as usual. He's going to tell it like it is. And and his making the comment like, oh, well, you run for governor. You can get this house as well. That is unacceptable. I Quite frankly, it is unacceptable for anybody, but especially a, a you know a man who is polling at 15%. It's a, it's a simple, clear sign. Ladies and gentlemen, I just don't care about the state of New Jersey or its people anymore. Okay, so number two of why I hate government and politicians. Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, says for... I'm just giving you an example for why the public has a distaste. Claimed that he was going to cover his own legal bills. He said he didn't have to. Meaning in in the various investigations that his administration was embroiled in, it came out to $13 million in legal bills. And Bill de Blasio said, no, I'm going to cover my own. I'm going to. And then they told him they couldn't create a legal defense fund. And then he said, well, and now he finally admitted last week. And he, you know, of course, you know, July 4th Eve, he puts out there that actually he's going to have the city pay for $2 million of his legal bills when it came for when it came to the various investigations, administration, corruption, et cetera, electioneering uh, and the like. Now, he could have done that all along, but he had this, I don't know, he always has this kind of holier-than-thou thing, and then sometimes because, you know, that seems to be unnecessary for him to do it. The problem is, is that once you've already said, well, I'm going to cover it, and now he says, well, I can't cover it, it's it, it just, it's just it's self-inflicted. You know, here we have another case of saying, well, you know, I really, you know, I'm really this guy, but in the end, I'm actually this guy. Look, I... There's no question. Look, Bill de Blasio is not a man of means. He's not a wealthy politician. I, I appreciate you know, that. You know, there's no, a, but there's no. That's exactly why there's no reason to promise in the beginning. Make these broad pronouncements as if, oh, I'm going to take care of it. When actually, you have no means by which of taking care of look, it. Look, as the mayor of the city of New York, he was under the impression that he would be able to raise money. And, and you and I both know that in sort of in in in, in government and politics, oftentimes people use their campaign funds to pay their legal yes. fees. We see it in the state all the time. And the city campaign finance laws are much more complicated and much more or, and much more rigid. And so I think he thought there was a mechanism in which he'd be able to handle this. And I, I really believe that because I, I don't I think, just think he wanted to he be knew, look if he yeah. knew he would have to backtrack. Nobody wants to have to no, backtrack. Right. So if he knew that ultimately the city was going to pay for it, I don't think he would have said that. I think he didn't know. I mean, I, I really think this is a case where he just didn't know. It and he put, had to look. There's no question. He did backtrack. But I don't think he wanted to, and, and I kind nobody of, wants he, to. He, he fell into it because ultimately, you know, everything, all the other means of making this get, you know, of all of paying these bills, sort of just fell through. Yeah, it's just another, you know, another reason that people are more cynical about politicians and what they say. Yeah, but let's not compare. They, let's not compare that to you know uh, a government I, shutdown. No, I think it's I think it's equally tone deaf to a certain degree. I think you don't have to go. Don't make promises in the end when you're not going to go ahead 
and fulfill them. Somebody should have said, hey, you know what? Don't go out and do this. Let's wait. Let's go ahead. Let's not make it because Bill de Blasio wants to be the progressive king. He wants to be, you know, a whole bunch. But look, he's like other politicians. They go out and they promise and they don't necessarily make not necessarily have the intention of actually doing anything. Okay, look, one more thing I wanted to talk about, Phil, I think which is particularly interesting this week, which is the absurdity and this uh, of what's going on with the election commission that headed by Mike Pence and Chris Kobach, uh, Secretary of State of Kansas, into, we're not talking about Russia, we're not talking about Russia meddling in the election, we're not talking about hacking in the election, we're talking about the widespread election fraud that President Trump has said that 3 million illegal people have voted in the 2016 election, which is why he lost the popular vote. And the interesting thing here is I think 44 states now have now refused to give information to the commission. You want to talk 44, about a witch hunt? 44 this states. Is a witch but wait, wait, wait. The most absurd part. Sorry. I, I, I know no, you. No, no, please. The most absurd part is Chris Kobach, Kansas won't participate. Indiana, Mike Pence's state, won't participate. So it's not just Republicans and Democrats because there is no reason whatsoever that you should be handing over social security numbers of voters to this commission isn't to it, make them public. Isn't it great when Democrats and Republicans can work can, together? Can work together. It's so, it's it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I want to thank this, this White House. I want to thank the vice president because they have finally found a way to bring people together. And that is to create, I mean, there's no... There is no basis in reality that there was any voter fraud. I mean, and every expert in the country will tell you that it would be impossible to to orchestrate a voter fraud to the to the to the numbers of one million, two million, three million. I mean, the documented cases of voter fraud in the last, I think, thirty years is like fifty-five. I mean, I think the number is so astronomically low, and to coordinate in a fifty states, millions of votes would literally be impossible, absolutely impossible. And so, this, my friends, is an actual witch hunt. However, it seems to have unified the Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, it is incredible, and, th and therefore, I'm going to give our spin award to the week to the president who tweeted in response to the fact that everybody he's saying, "What do they have to hide?" He wants to know why they won't turn over the information. Well, guess what? You know what they have to hide? My social security number and yours, Phil. I don't want those being turned over. I don't want my information or my driver's license information and all those information being turned over to this commission. I want that being private as was guaranteed to me when I be when I registered to vote. We're supposed to encourage people to vote and participate, not discouraging them by, by having their data potentially turned over to other parties. So, Phil... That's it for this week uh, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Julian City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.